0: Welcome to Crunching Tackles where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in Taylor Swift's dating life. Yes, that's right. It's Swift Season on the podcast today. My name is Chad Wiley and with me as always is John Neckersov and John, how are you doing today? I saw you I saw you cringe at my opening line here today. I mean, it's not so
1: much that I'm cringing at this topic because we we'd really we chose this, you know? We did. Maybe we didn't necessarily choose the situation being forced upon us as NFL fans, but we did choose to talk about it. But, like, I can't think of two less qualified people to have this conversation, quite frankly. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I maybe have actively put on a Taylor Swift song, like, maybe a couple times in my life. Genuinely, like, that's not even a joke. I've obviously heard much more than that. But, like, this is not, I am a sports guy, you know, just being thrust into this whole new world. And I think it's worth talking about. But but I just, that's my disclaimer to start everything that we're going to talk about today.
0: Well, I I definitely want to open the main portion of our topic by giving our Taylor Swift qualifications to have this conversation. But I think we can save that for when we get to it. Um, because we're kind of going to jump around, we're going to do what we often do and just do a little roundup of, of the news, and then get into the big story, which is of course Taylor Swift and her, um, I guess, carrying of the NFL as a cultural institution right now. Sure. I mean, it seems. Accurate I mean, it to seems say. like a fact, yeah. So uh, we are going to we are going to end up there, and before we get there, we're going to talk a little bit of. A little bit of soccer maybe a little bit of golf I think you have some uh, basketball um, baseball playoffs started today as well there's just there's always so much going on Um, their wild card round at the MLB started today like yeah always always plenty to talk about we're not even going to talk about the fact that the Miami Dolphins scored 70 points a week ago that did happen Um, that's just a thing that happened that we're just going to blow right by Um, I'm trying to think of all the interesting things that I've thought about in the past few weeks but I do want to jump in yeah, you, you put this on the rundown. <laughs> I did. I've seen the pictures.
1: <laughs> I think there are two important things that we need to talk about regarding the NBA. I just wanna I just wanna start the conversation here. Jimmy Butler walked into Media Day for the NBA for the Miami Heat yesterday with like a My Chemical Romance emo haircut. And you know, I just I just feel like We're going to talk about celebrities and sports culture and all kinds of stuff. And like, what better way to highlight all of those cultural shenanigans than by Jimmy Butler walking out and pretending to be the MCR front man with TikToks and everything? Like, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what went through his mind when he said, I'm going to do this in my press conference today,
0: but I loved it and he clearly loved it too. So... Yeah, what Jimmy did was essentially straighten his hair and then middle part it down both sides of his head to do what it what is what he has described as just an emo look. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Jimmy Butler has a very fascinating relationship with music. I don't know if there is some sort of theme behind this. There's oh, an episode it. of ESPN Daily where they dive into uh, Jimmy Butler's fascination with like. Just interesting music, and how whenever they're in the locker room and he he is the dJ things always get a little odd compared to what maybe his contemporaries are listening to, so I would like to dive into that story a little bit more. Like I said, all I've seen are just the tweeted pictures, which I find hilarious
1: yeah I, there's nothing deeper honestly than that for me i just I just felt like it was worth uh, it was worth talking about
0: yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> we maybe, we'll maybe have you retweeted a picture that someone can go find on your I I will um, do that. Account? I will do that okay. after this. It's so this if is you're curious, it's important yeah. social content. Yeah. John, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen happen this weekend. That's yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I has this ever happened before?
1: No, and I don't think so. And I, I don't even know where to start this. We yeah, talked okay. a lot about VAR soccer instant review and i think the craziest story that we've ever had with soccer instant review happened this weekend like we literally started this podcast with a section called var corner right way at the beginning yeah and we would we would have you know we would have things we would review the problems of the week and var has never been more squarely in var corner than this week.
0: Yeah, let me just set the scene and I'll let you explain maybe what happened. So there's a massive Premier League game between Liverpool and Tottenham on Saturday. I caught the end of it. I didn't see this live. I had to go back and find it subsequently uh, because I was doing chores during this game. Um, But so there is a moment in the game when the, the score is tied at one all. Liverpool have already had a red card, so they're down to 10 men. And Liverpool appear to score a goal that gives them the lead. And as often happens, as always happens when a goal is scored, it goes to a, I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's wrong because the goal is ruled out for offside. Mm -hmm. So he scores the goal, the official on the sideline raises his flag for offside, and then it goes to a VAR video review check. And the way that the video assistant referees are told to check it is that they will look. And if, it's, if they agree with the call, they'll just move the game along. And if they disagree with the call, then they're either going to stop and show the lines on the field or they if it's you know something that requires a judgment call they'll call the referee over to the monitor to look at it that doesn't happen with offside and when when an offside call is overturned that means that the person in charge of var just drew the lines on the field determined that the person was either onside or offside and then makes the call and their call gets announced over the scoreboard to everyone who's looking at the at the game live and essentially what happens in this case is a communication error in which the video assistant referee thinks that the call on the field was a goal, was a mm-hmm. good goal given, and not an offside. And so based on that, he determines that the check is complete because what he sees when he looks at it is that Luis Diaz, the player who scored this goal, is onside. And so when he says check complete, carry on, the officials on the field think that their actual call was was validated that it was actually an offside goal. And so they award Tottenham a free kick in the defensive half. And everyone is just bewildered. The, the officials, not the officials, the commentators are confused. The fans are confused. This doesn't make sense to anyone. Jurgen Klopp, the coach of Liverpool, is obviously a mixture of confused and incensed. It's just a very weird situation. And so... As people start to, you know, take screenshots, it becomes clear that this was the wrong call and we have no idea how it was missed. And so that's kind of leads us to today where the Premier League took an incredibly unusual step. And I'll let you take it from here.
1: Right. So so we have everything that Chad just said. Right. The VAR announced their check, said check complete, and then move the game along. So the Premier League today released the audio of what happened. Because immediately, like, the commentators, I was watching the game at the time, the commentators were like, oh, that's got to be a goal. That's clearly onside. And the referees, the VAR referees, thought it was such an obvious thing that they just rushed the process along. And people only started to realize after the game that anything had gone wrong like the further they went from that moment, like first people thought the camera angles were just like off somehow that were on TV and we were seeing something that VAR saw differently. And then quickly it became known, like you said, that something much more serious had gone wrong and outcry became so severe that the Premier League took the crazy step, which I don't think they've ever done before in the aftermath of a game. um, And, released the audio of the referees talking to each other. And what they said is actually kind of just, it's bizarre, really. Because according to how the rules of the game, how the laws of the game operate, is VAR can review a decision, but once play resumes, like once the decision has been made and the check is done, once play resumes, you can't stop the game again to review it again. So... Literally, the team realized, if you listen to the audio, within seven seconds or so that the team on the field had made the wrong call. They'd been confused. But at that point, they said, it's too late. We can't call it back now. So, you know, they're saying expletives and whatever on the line because they are realizing what has gone wrong. But they don't say anything to the referees on the field. So the people on the field have no idea that this is happening. They don't even give them the opportunity to, you know, stop play and consider what they should do given that circumstance. And so they just move play along. Tottenham ends up winning the game late on. And we're left with what I think is one of the biggest refereeing controversies I've ever seen, quite honestly. Because there's a system in place to make the right decision. And the right decision was made. And yet the right decision was not actually applied on the field. And I think that's just like yet another example of how broken the system of refereeing and video
0: review that soccer is using in particular right now. It reminds me of a kind of not exactly similar, but maybe parallel situation that happened to Manchester United several years ago Mm -hmm. where Manchester United were playing away at Brighton. And, um, in that case, there was an appeal for a penalty given. But, of course, the official can't stop the play immediately to go check for a penalty. They have to wait for a natural break of play. And it just so happened that the next natural break of play was the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And so the referee blows the whistle to full for full time to end the match. And so, you know, the managers have to do the handshake and all that. And then he goes to check the penalty that had happened a few minutes previously determines that it was a penalty and so what he does is he gives Manchester United a penalty shot after the game ended and so this and I I don't know how they scored it because technically it's a full-time penalty not like the 90 second minute or whatever Mm -hmm. and so Manchester United end up scoring the penalty the game's already over so it just immediately ends after they score there's no restart there's nothing else If, if it had been saved or deflected there would have been no you know second chance or anything it was because there's no live play allowed to happen. There's just one kick. Right. And then Manchester United score the penalty, and the game just continues to be over. But the score has changed after the final whistle blew. Um, and I, I think that what that makes me think of is the fact that getting the right decision made is more important than the flow of the game mm-hmm. in a reasonable amount of time. If 20 minutes had gone on, and they have been like, oh, wow, we missed that call. You don't go back and fix that. Right. But when you, as the video assistant referee, are make a decision where you expect there to be a kickoff restart to the game at the center line, like after a goal, and then you see that instead there is a defensive free kick being given, if you figure that out within 10 seconds, I think that everyone would be more happy with the situation if the rule changed so that you could stop the game and just make the right decision. You know i think they because you said they realized it within about seven seconds Mm -hmm. and they could have stopped the game within like 20 seconds or so they could have gotten on the pa system and explained what happened to all the fans to everyone involved and then made the right decision and i think i don't i don't understand this arbitrary rule that as soon as a check is a check can't be re-reviewed and as I do understand the spirit of the rule in the sense that, like, you don't want to go back, you know, 20, 30 minutes to re-arbitrate an Mm old decision. But within a reasonable time frame and, you know, 10, 15 seconds is certainly a reasonable time frame. Get the decision right. If they had gotten the decision right, we would be saying, wow, that was weird that that happened. But it wouldn't be a controversy like this. Everyone would say, "Okay, that was a weird situation. But in the end, justice was done. And the fact that. In order to keep the flow of the game, they just made intentionally knew that they made the wrong decision and allowed that to stand. Make is just, I think that that rule needs to be reevaluated. Absolutely. And I think, I think it points to the one of the biggest problems
1: that we have specifically in soccer because you know, football and basketball have really long review delays sometimes, right? That's just the nature of the game. People are used to commercial breaks. People are used to standing around and waiting for a decision. And that's just kind of become normal, right? Soccer is a game that's based on flow. And so it feels really weird to have a game that's interrupted for three minutes, you know, while you're waiting for a referee to decide on something. And I think fans are resistant to long reviews as a result, and. I think that naturally impacts the way referees make their decisions, right? Because they're used to, you know, in this age of social media abuse, they become used to getting constant abuse for taking too long, for making bad decisions. And so that intensity then makes them want to hustle things along. And I think we thus have that kind of that tension between speed and accuracy that's constantly there, right? And the solution to it is that, like, ultimately we do need the right decision, right? Like if we don't have that, there's no point to have VAR to begin with, right? There's no reason to review the offside. If you're going to both get it wrong and take a long time on some of them, then like there's no, it's not actually giving the game any benefit. And I don't know. It's just the strangest part to me here is VAR has been more and more in the spotlight this season. I feel like than ever. Um, Hmm. there have been bizarre decisions constantly, like, you know, the end of the Manchester United game against Wolves where Onana came out and absolutely body slammed a Wolves player, you know, like we had our differences. I was like, that's a clear penalty. You were like, there's no way that's a penalty, but regardless of our opinions. The refereeing association, the PGMOL, came out after the game, released a statement saying, we made the wrong decision. And they've done that multiple times this season. And they're, I don't know, they're taking this approach of, we're not refereeing well, here's why. Maybe because they want more transparency. But I don't think you can keep supporting transparency while not actually providing results. I think that's the problem here.
0: Yeah, and like... Correcting and apologizing for mistakes is not uncommon. The NBA does it after every game. They have their two minute report where they send out a report saying these are the calls we got right in the final two minutes, these are the calls we got wrong.
1: Oh really? Yeah,
0: th- yeah, that's that's very common. But I think the difference is that you shouldn't be getting the calls wrong that you check. Like if right. you miss if you miss a call, you, then you lose the chance to review it because sure. you don't because there's no mon- there's no look at it. But if you if you make the call and allow for the check the checks already going to be time consuming and you're only going to add another 10 15 seconds to correct this communication error just make the right call and, and three, again yeah. I, this would be a significantly less controversial story if that bizarre thing had happened where they had given the free kick and then 10 seconds later the referee blew the whistle and changed the decision we'd be like oh that was kind of odd And then when we saw it, we'd be like, oh, okay, they made the right decision. Everyone moves on. But because they took the same amount of time to make the wrong decision, like I said, that's why this is going to be one of the defining memories of this season. Yeah, I mean, three goals happened in this game, right? Those
1: are the most, those and the two red cards that Liverpool had are the most important parts of this game. And those are the reviewable decisions, right? And that game, in a very real sense, came down to multiple video reviews: one for yeah. Liverpool's first red card, one for which Liverpool's was a red seven. card, right, and one for Liverpool's second goal. Yeah, and VAR may get some of those decisions right, and like I think, on the one hand, we have to be willing to accept that referees do get things wrong. Like that is tough, but even when you review something in a sport like soccer, where there are marginal decisions constantly. With things like fouls and penalties, like sometimes you're going to disagree with the call. And that's annoying and frustrating sometimes, but like it does happen. With something like offsides, at this point, given the marginal offsides that are being called, this should never happen.
0: That's the well, reality. Yeah, there, there are subjective decisions that referees make, and there are objective matters, matters of physics. Right. The, and this strikes, is, yeah. the strike zone should have a one hundred percent success rate with the automated strike zone. Uh right. the, the lines in tennis should have a one hundred percent success rate with the with the whatever that technology is called that does the cameras. Hawkeye. And or offside. Somebody. Hawkeye, yeah. Mm-hmm. And offside should have a one hundred percent success rate. Right. Because it's just literally physics. It right. has, You're there's doing, no interpretation.
1: They are ruling people offside for millimeter like for your toe literally being offside. Literally that much of a decision is deciding some of these games, right? Where goals have been ruled out that literally decide seasons for entire teams based on those millimeters. And then you're just gonna miss a call entirely. Right. Like, just literally but miss even, an yeah. entire goal. And after having made the correct decision, like if you're gonna review it, an objective thing like that, that is that consequential to a game, you're right. It is 100% unacceptable for that to be the result of a review.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's overly tough on referees to say that mm. something like that should should never be wrong. Like it yeah. Should, there should, yeah, especially when it could have been, with with very minimal interruption, fixed.
1: Right. I mean, just the referees have to say, if if you're not, if your protocol, after all these years of video assistant review, doesn't allow for you confirming whether something was a goal or not. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's just individual error or what, or yeah. the referee didn't say what he was supposed to. But if your protocol does not allow for that after all these years of trial, like
0: that's not excusable. Let me let me be the VAR assistant for a second here. Sure. Hey mate, we thought that the, we said check complete because we thought that you had said offside and because you said a goal, but because because we because we thought you said it was a good goal and it was actually offside, but because it uh, because you wrote it offside, we actually think it was a good goal. That's it.
1: Yeah. That's, That's all you need. Yeah. And like, I do understand the laws of the game thing, but I think this is an unusual circumstance, right? Even if you are within the laws and you say, we cannot under any circumstance, stop the game. Now you have to stop the game and go yeah. talk to the managers and right. say like, this just right. happened. This is what happened. What should are we the do laws,
0: There are the laws of the game. And then there is the, the justice of just sports and like, right even if you have to break a law or or at least acknowledge what has happened like justice demands that you either fix it or explain what happened
1: i don't know if you remember do you remember when mike dean like a month or two ago said that he basically was a var official for another referee and didn't correct him because he felt like he was going to get too much abuse i do remember that and and made the made the objectively made the wrong call i remember that like that's a difficult referees are humans and that's a difficult place to be but he directly admitted in public that he did not do his job as a referee yeah right and like yeah mistakes do happen and you do get emotional but like if that is a common thing that is occurring for referees that's a serious problem and that erodes trust in the institution and from the other angle right I think players do players have a lot of say in that because they abuse referees so much and fans abuse referees so much. So it becomes a toxic circle, right? But the yeah. referees do have a responsibility there.
0: Yeah, I yeah. I, I, you and I are in agreement. The whole world seems to be in agreement about this. Right. It was just just a big mistake. Uh, um, John, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about golf. Um, and just to say that this seems, and I think this, uh, if you had asked me, I probably would have known this. But USA are not the powerhouse of golf. And I don't mean that just because they got beaten pretty handily in the Ryder Cup. I mean that because if you look at the names of the people competing, mm-hmm. like all of the world's best golfers basically play for Europe, with the exception of Scotty Scheffler. And when you looked at some like, so the Ryder Cup happened in uh, Rome or in Italy somewhere, I think Rome, but I don't know exactly where. And um, it happens, you know. Whenever it happens, in all between being home in the U.S. or being home in Europe, and the results seem to alternate as well. The home team generally always wins. Hmm. Um, but this one, it was just really interesting because every single time I would see a pairing, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, Europe's gonna win. Oh yeah, hmm. Europe's gonna win." They have they have John Rahm. Oh, they also have Rory McIlroy. Oh, they also have like Victor Hovland. Just however far down the list you want to go, the Europe players were just significantly better with the exception of maybe like Scotty Scheffler and that's not just true in the Red Cup, that's also true on the tour Um, where like the names of the guys that you would want to have are the European guys and so mm-hmm. I think I guess it's just an interesting place to be in the world of golf where in the post-Tiger post-Phil world the center of golf has changed in a similar way to the center of tennis has changed recently where uh, these sports have becoming are becoming less USA centric and more eurocentric. Mm. I find that I just think it's a, it's an interesting trend that I would be interested to see if it continues when the next um the next Ryder Cup will come to America be played in Bethpage in New Jersey and it will be interesting to see if Europe continue to dominate.
1: Hmm. I think my real question here I didn't watch any Ryder Cup this weekend. I know you did as our golf correspondent. Yeah. Can we can you talk about Rory McIlroy because I heard I heard that he got very, very angry and he was did. like yelling at people in parking lots or something like, I don't know what yes. happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, the former caddy of Tiger Woods, Joe LaCava is now caddying for Patrick Cantlay who played for America on the Ryder Cup team. And Patrick Cantlay was paired against, uh, Mark Roy in a group on Saturday, I think, and on the final hole, while Rory is trying to line up a putt, Joe LaCava, the caddy, is standing on the green, waving his hat to the crowd, and, like, trying to talk to Rory McElroy while he's lining up a putt. So, like, incredibly poor etiquette. Right. And then Rory goes over to him and is like, will you please move? I'm coming to work. Right? I'm trying to do my job and make this putt. Right. And he keeps so then he kneels in a look at his putt and Joe Lakava keeps talking at him while he's trying to putt. <laughs> and Lakava later says that like he felt like his guy, Patrick Cantley, was getting like a bunch of unfair criticism for some other things that happened that I could explain later. He was mm-hmm. he's being unfairly heckled because Patrick Cantley had the audacity to say that Ryder Cup players should be paid and they're not paying that they should not be playing for the spirit of the country that they should be paid. Mm. And so all the European fans were mocking Patrick Cantlay about this. I see. And so I think the caddy was a little worked up and just in a really really poor moment of golf etiquette made made it a bit of a nuisance of himself. Right. Which Roy very rightly took objection to that like he said carried over into the parking lot where there were some words exchanged. Um subsequently it required a meeting between Rory and Lacava on Sunday morning to kind of simmer the tensions down, mm. and then the tournament did resume. But uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a sight. Um, interestingly, it is Rory McIlroy's best ever Ryder Cup. Uh, he went four and one, which he had never is is the highest he's ever uh, gone before, and he led that team to victory. So. Wow. Didn't seem phased, I guess, by, uh, by the blunder, but yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, I was reading all about in The Guardian about how fueled by rage Rory was this weekend, and um, you know, given everything that's happened in the last year, I could use a little bit more rage-filled Rory. Like, I think he needs to let out his live anger on the golf course.
0: It was a very bizarre moment. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've literally never seen anything like it before. I wish so, that was um, on the
1: next documentary they probably aren't weren't filming at the Ryder Cup. But oh, like, I
0: don't think they were. That's too yeah, bad. That
1: that would have been an experience that I would have I would loved. Have, I would have
0: liked that as well. <laughs> um anything else on other sports stories before we dive into uh, the big events?
1: No, I mean, I think I think the reality is that the world of sports, like we've got a lot of games going on, we've had drama, but the world of sports in America in particular, obviously, revolves around football and football right now revolves around Taylor Swift. And that's true. I think that's the segue. Like we need like what, I don't know what's going on. Like this just came out of nowhere. Apparently Travis Kelsey tried to give Taylor Swift a friendship bracelet at a concert and she didn't take it. And then all of a sudden they were dating and now we're here and millions of Swifties are attending games and amping up the viewership of Sunday night football. And almost losing to Zach wilson, and i don 't know football's just in a very strange place all of a sudden like i don't know what what have your impressions been of the new Swift era of the nFL
0: Well, I think my first impression is that I would like to welcome the approximately two million women who checked into um the Sunday night football broadcasts in a way that they'd never done before to and the, the, to the real, NFL those are real stats. That's real a real stats. statistic. Yeah. There was a 2 million cause, because the TV networks, no demographics and the growth between like young to middle-aged women was 2 million viewers for uh, growth for this particular Sunday night game in which it was announced almost a week in advance that Taylor would be in attendance uh, in which her music was heavily featured in which advertisements for her movie were heavily featured, and in which there were no less than 11, 11 live cuts to her in 11? the box during the game. Yeah, I got counted. <laughs> I felt
1: like there had to have been way more. That no, seems no. so low. Yeah, it does seem low. Um,
0: a very funny guy on Instagram, did a. he was doing a scoreboard between cuts to Taylor Swift and cuts to Aaron Rodgers. And it ended at eleven to eight. Taylor versus I think, Aaron, that's, I think so. that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a very but fair. That was stat. good. Good content for that guy. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. But yeah, I mean, we could talk about her as a celebrity and what she, if you know, the, what she brings to the sport. But it is interesting to see this have an actual effect on the ratings, because that's kind of the thing where like that normally doesn't happen just because a celebrity shows up to an event like that. That doesn't normally mean that 2 million people run to their televisions because a celebrity they care about is watching a sporting event. But that's kind of the uniqueness of Taylor. That's something that Megan could speak to more than I could. Hopefully she she gets home from from wherever she is and can come educate (laughs) us on that. But it is fascinating that, she has that kind of pull that I, I think it's a thing that nobody else in the world has. Hi, Megan.
2: Hello. I'm here for the important topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you want to say something about Taylor?
2: I think it's very important that a real Swifty actually join this conversation.
0: Look into this microphone for mm-hmm. just a brief second and explain to us why two million women who have never watched football before watched Sunday Night Football last two nights ago.
2: Yes, yeah, so, um, a little backstory is our Queen Taylor Swift broke up with her boyfriend of six years um back in January. I think maybe it was before the Eras tour like started. And Travis Kelsey has like made moves on Taylor. Um and to be fair, the reason it's a big deal is because, like, no guy makes real moves. Like, they're intimidated by Taylor. Which, to be fair, like, I get it. Like, she's way too cool for, like, anyone. But, um, anyway, so Travis Kelsey, like, made moves. And everyone is, like, all into this narrative of the football star. And if you know the You Belong With Me story, um, it's all about how, You like, can assume
0: that we don't.
2: Okay. <laughs> it's It's that... You know, like she wears short skirts, I wear T shirts, like he's the he's on like the captain of the football team and like she's just like the band girl and that that's why people like love this Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift matchup. And to be fair, I really like it as well.
0: So I, one follow up and I'll let you go. But why all the backstory about why they're dating makes sense. But why do women why would women want to watch football for the sole reason that Taylor Swift is also watching the same football game.
2: It's because he's also our boyfriend right now. Like, as a Swifty, <laughs> as a Swifty, like, we are also dating Travis Kelsey right now. We are, like, looking into his past. We are, like, examining, like, his past clips, how Taylor, like, works with T- Travis as well. And so... Um, to me, it's really important that I know my future spouse as well.
0: Wow! Thank you, thank you very much, John. Do you have any questions for Megan?
1: I think my questions are more uh, more. How does Chad feel about
0: that?
2: <laughs> I would say that Chad is just really excited for his Instagram feed to be filled with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey like memes. Mm-hmm. Also, the marketing on this is like the best I've ever seen. I mean,
1: I mean we're gonna get into that. I mean the NFL has been marketing this like there's no tomorrow and for good reason.
2: So one of the best parts, um I don't know if it's been said, but I am working at a new job and my manager who is a i won't i won't rat him out on this but he is not the average age of a swifty mm. um <laughs> he like lives for this taylor swift like drama mm. um and he's a football fan too but he's full in um so i'm just saying like it's not just teenage girls enjoying this
1: i'm just saying the the Jake Gyllenhaal to Travis Kelsey pipeline was not something I anticipated happening. I find that I, it seems very odd to me. I, I like I support it. But Travis Kelsey was never the kind of person that I would have pegged her as like going for. I don't know how you feel I'm, about that.
2: I mean, if you watch clips of Taylor, she's just kind of a weird person in general. Hmm. And Travis Kelsey is also just a weird person. He's very strange. They they just For some reason it makes sense. And again, I'm not like the same level of Swifty that is like stalking everything, but I'm fully invested in this relationship. Chad's a little upset with me because it's all I talk about. (laughs) Thank you, Megan. Okay. I'm glad that this could be my debut on the podcast. Yeah, welcome to the pod. This is vital (laughs) information. Yeah. I know. It's been like, what, three, four years of you guys doing this, and I've never felt the need to jump on. But um, this was important, and uh, your audience need to know about about this relationship.
0: Again, special thank you to our uh, Taylor Swift correspondent <laughs> and my wife, Megan, <laughs> for bringing us the boots-on-the-ground perspective on a, a very interest of hers. Um, that was good. I feel, like, I feel like what I learned from that, John, or I'll, I'll throw it back again to you, mm-hmm. but... I think that there are, and this is this is more a celebrity culture thing than it is a sports thing, but there are people where, in most cases, it's a cult following. But for Taylor, it is a mainstream following of people who, you know, live and die by their every decision—not just the art that they make, but the people that they are. And I think we talk. It is true with some athletes where it's you know becomes about more than what they do on the field. It becomes about what they do with their lives. And Taylor is kind of the biggest example of someone who, you know, people will tune into her when she's doing a concert, obviously, but people will tune into her when she is just hanging out with her boyfriend. Like literally that's all it was is Mm -hmm. she's there with her boyfriend's mom, watching her boyfriend do his thing. And everyone, and Megan included, they're all like, we have to also watch this boyfriend because we now care about him because he cares about her and we care so much about her, not just because of her art, but because of who she is. It's an odd, it's a really odd thing. I think it's odd and it's,
1: I wasn't even really thinking about this when we started planning for this podcast, but I think it, the question it leads me to is kind of revolving the whole world of celebrity that we live in in the modern age. I think that, you know, celebrities have always existed to a certain extent Right. People have always been popular even yeah. in ancient times. Sure. Right. Um, yeah,
0: Napoleon Bonaparte, very popular guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, Elvis, obviously, I think is kind yeah. of maybe the beginning of what we view the contemporary star being in the modern age. And I think Taylor is sort of the full realization of that in a way that we've never seen before. Like the fact that she is taking on an interest m- brings millions of people to also take on an interest. Like there was literally a story in the New York Times about a Swifty who had been to like six Eras Tours concerts, which is insanely expensive. Like that is, that takes some doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was talking about how she is studying football so she can do what Taylor's doing. The question that the NFL is asking from their perspective is can they actually capitalize on this into... Actual, like, viewership momentum. Like, can they make these fans stick around in the long run? You know, is it that big of a percentage increase in overall NFL viewership? Maybe not by much, but 29 million people, according to NBC, tuned in at the peak of that Sunday Night Football broadcast, which is yeah. the second highest ratings of any game this season. The average— a- Any
0: Sunday programming of the whole yeah. year. Yeah.
1: Past the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. it it— peaked that high because of Taylor I mean Taylor's selling out movie theaters in a couple weeks like there is a stardom that she has that is is genuinely remarkable regardless of whether you like her music or not like she has built the biggest brand that any celebrity I think ever has and as a result I think she's built I mean she is the highest profile sports fan ever feel so like that's yeah. in, in this current moment, which is kind of a funny thing to say, but I think it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a question of like, did, is Taylor Swift bigger than the entire NFL? <laughs> which like is kind of a silly question, but might not be <laughs> like, I, I, I really don't know. Um, but, but she's in that ballpark Yeah. where like, you know, her concert did like Megan said, it did, not in profit, but in revenue, like over $2 billion of revenue. And her movie already has like a hundred million dollars just in pre-sales. And And that's just her by herself. Yeah. NFL's worth
1: like 12 billion, I think, or something like that, or 20 billion. I'm just ballparking, but it's like around that area, but it's an entire league. Like that's the whole ecosystem and Taylor on her own is a solid to like 10% of that.
0: Right. Yeah. And so for a, you know, for a, regular season Sunday night football game with very low betting stakes and a bad opponent who is not a popular team right now for it to do that 29 million dollar number that's a big number and I don't think that that number is going to stick around unless Taylor keeps attending games like I don't think those two million women are going to tune in to watch Travis Kelsey if Taylor's not in the stadium and they're not showing her but like I think a lot of, for the NFL, a lot of what this is going to depend on is how involved she wants to be. I've done some statistical research. I was way Plenty. off.
1: The NFL's value, according to Forbes, is around $160 billion. So,
0: Well, value, not annual revenue.
1: Not annual revenue, but overall yeah. value. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because each franchise is worth like... 5 billion yeah, six six yeah. to eight billion yeah so she's basically half of an nfl friend she's half of the cowboys by herself right yep that's great yeah which is i mean still incredible i do i guess i do wonder how involved she wants to be in this because it does seem to me like a lot of people on the margins of this story are looking to capitalize mm-hmm. and hopefully taylor and chavis are just looking to start off a nice relationship where hopefully they just you know hang out and she goes to his games, and he goes he goes to her stuff, and maybe he'll be at her movie premiere, and they all just hang out and have a good time. But for the you know Twitter or social media manager of the NFL, and for the Kansas City Chiefs organization, the people in the purview of this, the people who were who kept on buying airtime for Taylor Swift's movie during this broadcast, people are trying to capitalize, and um, it's interesting to see and again a lot of it comes down to her uniqueness because there there aren't other as ath- there aren't other celebrities who've been able to manifest this kind of buzz just ever in life whether it's actors, musicians, movie stars, whoever. Like even even other athletes don't have this kind of pull. And so it'll just be interesting to see how you know if she keeps coming, if this trend continues. It didn't help that it didn't hurt that she brought like a murderer's row of celebrity friends with her to this game <laughs> including ryan reynolds hugh jackman sophie turner and paul rudd all just in her entourage like, that's not up, a bad you know? on, yeah not a bad entourage to have the entire cast of deadpool 3 and paul rudd like okay you're doing pretty good there but it's interesting there, there's a lot there's a lot that the nfl could continue to do including booker for the halftime show although they already gave this one to usher but a future one. They mm-hmm. should just they should just drop Usher and give it to her right now. Absolutely. I mean, they'd make so much
1: more money. Think about the viewership of the Super Bowl if it's both the Super Bowl and a Taylor Swift concert.
0: If the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, yep. And Taylor was in the halftime show, it would do an all-time number.
1: I mean, that would be the greatest TV event of all time. Like, there's no question. I, that's That'd be insecure. it. Yeah. yeah I, well, true. actually, that's not. I mean, in America, the World yeah. Cup final right, obviously dwarfs right. it. So. Um, But in terms of our side of things, it would be unreal. I do think what's interesting about this whole situation for clicks. It's funny to say like this is completely staged and Taylor and Travis are just like generating money. I don't think that's true. Just given everything we've heard. Like I do think it's a genuine relationship, but I do think it's interesting. Like you said to see how the league and media and clearly Taylor's marketing team are trying to capitalize on this situation. And it kind of points to something that we've talked about a lot, which is the contentification of sports, right? That sports, we've talked a lot about how people are concerned that sports impact on society is decreasing, that young people are less interested in sports than they've ever been, that viewership for a lot of sports leagues is going down which is not true with the NFL right now, but for a little while there was true. The NBA's ratings are down. MLB's ratings are down. Even soccer, which is the world's biggest sport, its biggest leaders are concerned that kids will stop actually watching games in the same way that they do currently. And so, you know, you have celebrities like Ryan Reynolds who buy a soccer team to make TV, right? That is a a literal thing him and Rob McElhenney did and it's been incredibly successful. Wrexham, the team they bought in Wales, is now in the fourth division of British soccer, which it did not been in in years, I think. Um, and that team has gained a lot of support. And literally, it's just because of the content that they're making. And it's interesting to kind of compare that against something like this, where it's just a relationship. It's not even the team. Taylor's not signing up for this to do branding for the Chiefs in some way right but the the effect of it is the same and I think I wonder if situations like this will start to make leagues and teams more and more start to consider whether they can almost do like celebrity sponsorships kind of quote unquote to sort of fuel their image among younger people and bring in fans from areas that you know maybe they wouldn't normally get viewers from
0: yeah let me let me do a quick fact check as well uh you did one earlier uh cnn is saying that they cut to taylor swift 17 times during the broadcast <laughs> not 11 so um my source must have been not counting but you, you mentioned younger people mm-hmm. john guess which demographic had the largest spike of viewership for sunday night football was it younger people it was 12 to 17 year old girls See. a 53% increase in viewership among 12 to 17 year old girls, That's what I'm saying? And 18 to 24 year old girls, 24% increase. That's crazy. You want to know how to make sports popular? Is have the people who are popular with kids be there. Right. And I th- so much of what I'm saying about like the way that people care about what their celebrities do is is a young person thing
2: mm-hmm. that
0: you scour TikTok you you want to watch people, wherever they are, and so like, the more that sports can intertwine themselves with celebrity culture, to the extent that they're you know mixing with other other celebrities who are not just athletes, I think that that would have a tangible effect. I don't know the numbers for Ryan Reynolds Hulu show, but I'm assuming that is pretty good um, compared to what Rexham get probably on TV with their ESPN ratings or whatever right. and the football, NFL seeing the same exact thing I think you know we, there have been celebrities who have been staples of certain organizations that haven't had that kind of bump like Jack Nicholson has literally been at every single Lakers game he just has seats Spike mm-hmm. Lee with the Knicks there's no big report that those two people are boosting NBA ratings but they're also not Taylor Swift
1: right I mean Jack Nicholson is obviously an icon The camera does pan to Jack Nicholson at least once during that game, right? It will say, Jack Nicholson is here. Maybe it'll give another reaction shot if he makes a particularly notable face, right? But most of the time, celebrities don't have that effect on us at sporting events. Because usually, most of us who are tuning into the sporting events are tuning in for the game. Right. Right. And so we don't really care about Jack Nicholson being there. Other than like, oh, it's Jack Nicholson. This is different. And I think leagues are recognizing that they need to make things different. And, like, Messi coming to America, I think, is an interesting example from a sporting angle of that phenomenon, right? Like, Messi coming here for Apple, for the MLS, for David Beckham, who is very much a celebrity in his own right and played his own part as a celebrity in elevating the profile of soccer here in America— I think he brought Messi for a very similar reason which is one making a documentary that was just announced like yesterday and it'll be coming out this month about Messi coming to America called Messi meets America it's gonna be on Apple TV like they are saying you get to talk virtually to this guy who is the face of the sport of soccer for the entire rest of the world right that is a conscious strategy Mm -hmm. Just like with tennis, like with golf, like with Formula One, like we've talked about. Creating content. And the needle moved with Formula One a lot, right? I never heard anyone talk about Formula One before that show came out. And now, like, it's not like every other person, but I know a lot of people who are into Formula One now. And I think you are, I think more and more we're going to see sports lean into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that there is still a hierarchy of culture and mm-hmm. sports are not at the peak of it, because for us, like the Super Bowl, is the peak is the event of the year in America. But just remember that, like even the most famous athletes, even Tom Brady, nothing compared to like again, like there are people who are just operating at a different level, and there there are people who would use sports to boost them. And then there are people that all of sports would use to boost them. Mm-hmm. And this is just, yeah, one of the instances, um, yeah. I would I would like
1: to add, not to flex too hard. Nothing is bigger than soccer.
0: Well, I mean, that's true, worldwide.
1: Yeah, like there is no yeah. cultural phenomenon bigger than soccer, which is crazy. Right. When we're measuring, right, that is crazy to think about. Like there are, yeah. there is the level of fame worldwide for those athletes is something that we don't see in any other cultural sphere.
0: Yeah. Well, I, th- I guess we'll just say that we both have for our best wishes to the happy couple. And we hope that yeah. uh, more and more people start to check out the sport that we love.
1: Got to fight for your right to party,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I briefly, I did talk to, I'll tell this a little anecdote. We can move on. Mm-hmm. I did talk to one of my friends who is a, um, like 20s year old 20 something year old woman who has been a diehard football fan for years 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 since like we knew each other in high school and she is angry that all of these other now like uninterested white women are trying to co-opt her passion because she's like i've been here for like years and now all these other people are like it's it's football season we must get in and she's like you could be a real, like, like, I think the real football fans are like, this is a disgrace. And those of us who just want to view it for content are like, this is great. And I think that that disconnect is going to also become more obvious as well.
1: The proper football fans of America are going to start That's right. rising up. The same, That's right. the same English divide is about to start appearing here in the U.S. too.
0: It's going to yeah, be amazing. Yeah, because they're, they're not going to stand for it. <laughs> John, two brief bits of pop culture on our way out of here. A movie and a show... That we've both watched and both loved. What's Um, the show? The Continental. Oh, facts! From the world of John Wick. The Continental, uh, Peacock's hit streaming show. You probably have Peacock if you watch soccer because you can't watch soccer without Peacock. And if you already have Peacock, you can also watch The Continental. Which is a grungy, 80s, crime action thriller set in the world of John Wick but having nothing to do with the titular character of John Wick and is just a gangster crime show that is very satisfying features a very very famous man named Mel Gibson and other very good actors and is just a lot of fun for us Wick guys
1: I'm I'm having so much fun and I really expected to not have fun because most I've like become so just frustrated by like the world of content like talking about overproduction of content content has made me angry in a way that content has never made me angry before like the last 2 years i guess and so i every time a show like this is announced i say do i really want to watch this you think is they're it all selling it? you think they're sellouts yeah i do because most of them are but somehow the continental has hit that sweet spot where it's actually just good content. It's it only is. three episodes. It's four and a half hours of TV. We're three hours in, and it's just it's just plain old fun. Like, is it like it's not like the greatest TV of all time, but like it is doing exactly what it wants to do, and that's what the John Wick franchise is all about. John Wick is not like the Godfather. It's not no. you know, like the most artful content of all time, but it is fun. It's enjoyable. It's got good action. It's got good actors. It's got Mel Gibson. I won't spoil the Mel Gibson moment, but he has, he has a, a moment. moment. We'll tell yeah. to say that. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I really, I locked in within like the first three minutes of the first episode. And I've, I've had a ton of fun.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a great way to spend three Friday nights for 90 minutes mm-hmm. in, in, in a row. And it's nice to have just a consistent thing. Even if it's only three weeks, you know that like every Friday night, I'm, that's going to be there for me just to. to have ninety minutes of just uninterrupted fun, and yeah. if they can stick this landing, it'll be a great time.
1: I kind of feel the same way about the other thing we want to talk about, which is Gareth yeah. Edwards, the creator who directed yeah. Rogue One. Um, it's a new sci, it's a new sci-fi movie that just came out last week. We both have had a chance to see it now, and you know, again, it's not. It has its flaws. It is not a perfect movie by any means. We can get into those a little bit. Um, But what it is, is a really cool news story, a visually stunning film, and just an incredibly immersive world. It's basically about a world where the world is kind of split in half, it seems like, between America and Asia. Um, And Asia supports using robots and AI And the U.S. does not because the American robots detonated a nuclear bomb in L.A. prior to the events of the movie. And it's basically about a kind of disgruntled, disgraced soldier trying to save the world from this vast threat and learning about himself while in this kind of dystopian robot landscape in Asia and I mean, the best description of it is it's like a Vietnam movie about robots. Mm-hmm. And it is the coolest looking Vietnam movie ever. It's really, well, that's
0: not true. <laughs> no, <but yeah>. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, it's really, really cool. Um, I feel similarly to the creator that I do to another movie that we both saw called A Haunting in Venice, mm-hmm. which is like not going to be one of my top 10 movies of the year. But also I hope that they make a lot of these like there, like sometimes you just need a good 90 minute murder mystery and sometimes you just need a good two hour sci-fi movie yeah and if i see the creator at like a two dollar blu-ray store i'll buy it and every year i'll sit down and i'll watch it and i'll be like that's a good use of the next two hours of my life and it's not gonna make it's not oppenheimer it's not particularly funny like barbie like it's not going to be one of the most memorable things i saw this year it didn't move me the way past lives did but it's just a great way to go to the theater where you go alone, go with friends, just have a good two hours. And if you want to think about AI, I think it asks some interesting questions. Mm-hmm. If you want to just enjoy explosions that don't look like they were rendered on Marvel computers, you're in luck too. Because the guess what? The explosions look good. I mean, it's just, it looks great. And what blows my
1: mind, this is really why I wanted to talk about this movie beyond, obviously we both love sci-fi, but I wanted to talk about this movie because it's visually stunning and its budget was like $80 million. And the trailer for Aquaman two rolled right before it. And that budget was like $200 million. And that movie looks like absolute trash. And it was just like a clear indicator of, to me, just the nail in the coffin every time of the end of the era of comic book films. Like, I don't know how they come back from this given what they're trying to put out. Like there's just such a stunning lack of effort for me in this current iteration of them in comparison to what we're getting from like interesting filmmakers.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like the first, maybe first year where there won't be a comic book movie in like my top 20 movies. Aside like from there's Wars. like But yeah, yeah, sure. But like yeah, you're right. That's that's I forgot. But I don't it's even count that movie. really. Yeah. That's just different. <laughs> that feels that feels so different. An MCU or DC right. you like those studios for the, mm-hmm. like there was, won't there won't be anything. And I think we we've we've often and frequently done the obituary on Marvel and also DC and a little bit of Star Wars as well. And I think that's why something like the creator is such a breath of fresh air because if this came out during the height of Marvel, yeah. maybe it wouldn't resonate with me. Maybe I wouldn't like it. Like if it came out the same year as Winter Soldier or another like big epic, good Marvel movie. But there is such right now a sp- drought of just quality movie theater action movies mm-hmm. that it just fits a vein that it yeah. is needed right now. And I hope that they make... I hope that Gareth Edwards just keeps making good-looking sci-fi movies. Just like I hope James Cameron keeps making good-looking Avatar movies. And is the story going to be like... Is it going to win Best Screenplay? No. It might win Worst Screenplay, but I don't <laughs> care. I really don't. Yeah. And I don't care with Avatar. Because they can have me sit there for any amount of time. In James Cameron's case, I will sit there for... 13 hours if he wants me to. Mm-hmm. And he will he has promised to show me cool things. Yeah. And I trust him. And Gareth, this movie was branded as just visually as like the Avatar of mm-hmm. what it's doing. And yeah. You want to see cool stuff? That's the one. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe this is
1: convincing me to re revisit my negative views of Avatar. <laughs> the
0: first Avatar. Well, just both of them. Uh, you, sure. Yeah, you know,
1: I'm like I'm being convinced slowly. Like, the explosions in *Out of the Way
0: of Water* are better than the, than the, like the creator. *Out the Way of, of Water* is, is oh, one of the best looking movies I've yeah, ever seen.
1: Hundred percent. I just I would like to emphasize. I don't know if we've talked about this on this pod. Obviously, this is an Oppenheimer pod. Like, we are Oppen Bros. We are. It passed every MCU movie made this year. And every it also passed *Spider Verse*. Yeah. Like that's did. an incredible accomplishment for a movie of the type that Oppenheimer is. Like talk about cultural moments. The fact that every American, even if they didn't go see it, now knows who J. Robert Oppenheimer was is an incredible cinematic achievement from Christopher Nolan. Like it is. Oppenheimer, Barbie and Taylor Swift are the celebrities of 2023. Those will be the three
0: biggest movies. Yeah with with Mario. In Mario
1: Super Mario. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's just a machine.
0: Chris, yeah, Pratt. I mean, you and I, I mean, the year of the 3-hour plus historical epic is just oh, we're so this in. is this is just a good year. Um and there's there's a lot more coming that we can lock into. Um do we do just, a full-length Napoleon episode
1: when it comes out? <laughs>
0: Do you want to?
1: <laughs> I feel like it's really far outside the scope of this podcast, but like...
0: I feel like it'd be good content.
1: I feel like it would be good content. We'll consider it.
0: We will. Yeah, I I just... Yeah, we we, we have done our more than our fair share of ranting about the state of the movies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just nice for a good movie to be a good movie. Yep. And when I'm sitting there watching the Marvel's trailer and scoffing at the future... I know that the creator will be good. I know that Martin Scorsese and Ridley Scott and Michael Mann and David Fincher and Bradley Cooper are all coming. Yep. And I'm like, we're going to be okay. So start it off. Go see the creator. That's our recommendation for the week. Um,
1: Will I go see the Taylor Swift film in theaters? That's a question for another day. It is not. Unfortunately, I confirmed today covered by my AMC pass which decreased the odds of me going, but we'll see. A real,
0: but a real football fan would.
1: Is that the line we're drawing here? No, no <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. That is not no. a crunching tackles affirmed stance. No, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> it is funny though. Um, I do wonder I do wonder how much of the crossways we've talked about the Taylor Swift audience interacting with the NFL. I wonder how much that reverse is good. I wonder if, if she's unlocking NFL bros,
1: the sense I'm getting from the internet is that it's not at all the case. Interesting. I'm sensing a very much a great displeasure. Interesting. At least on the side of the internet I'm on. I'm yeah. interested if you guys are sensing other things. If you're an NFL bro like us and are now listening to Taylor Swift. Maybe Chad, maybe you are. I don't know. Are you?
0: Not Not more than I was, okay. which is yeah. I sit in cars with Megan and I listen to Taylor <laughs> Swift.
1: <laughs> if you are changing your listening habits because of... The Travis Kelsey relationship. If you are the world's biggest Tra- Travis Kelsey fan, we want to hear from you. That I, I really want to want hear. We, from, we, I we do. want. To, we want to know.
0: <laughs> I do want to know. Is that it for the pod today? We, I think that's we done it. the pod.
1: We, it was a very chaotic pod this week, but
0: but I think so. It's a chaotic subject. Yeah, several chaotic subjects, um, and I think that we I think we covered them well. I think we did. Um, do you have a particular uh, Taylor Swift song you'd like to shout out? Can you name a Swift song? Uh, I mean, I know Shake It Off. Good job. I obviously know that one. Yeah. Um, um, let me just close with this. In the days before Apple Music or Spotify, um, we, people had to pay for songs.
1: That is a thing um, that
0: happened. And I had an LG slide-out keyboard phone in high school that had a music player. Mm. And you could buy songs. And I bought, you know, The Black Eyed Peas and Jason Derulo and you know uh pitbull and all of you know the you know mid 2010s type type people we're talking like 2012 2013 2014 and i purchased two taylor swift songs i purchased we are never ever getting back together Mm. and i purchased i knew you were trouble and because i only had money for like 14 songs i listened to all 14 songs a lot and two of them are taylor swift songs so like i i feel like i have you know, paid my money to her mm-hmm. as little as my my one dollar and eighty nine cents or whatever it might end up to be. And so I feel like um really as much of an expert on Taylor as anyone because mm-hmm. of my, my contribution.
1: I think I think if if a Swifty were here right now, I think she would say Did you pay the money recently? to pay for Taylor's version of those songs? Because oh, if not, you see, didn't
0: pay them the money to begin see, with. See, <laughs> no, we, we bought a record player and Megan bought 1984, but we didn't buy, maybe we did buy Taylor's version of 1984. We bought, We. Bought, I have a of record in my house. So, 1980, 1989, I can't 1989, even 1989, think.
1: 1984, yeah. George Orwell.
0: George Orwell. Easily confused. Yeah, similar similar times to be alive. Um, 1989. I we have I think Taylor's version. Is that of her birth that year? Album. I'm assuming. I I don't know what it means. It must be. Oh, it seems to be. She's probably around. Should I call old. Megan in again? <laughs> <laughs> I have a phone. A friend. She's nine. She could be nine years older than us. That would make sense. I think that would make sense. Yeah. Which yeah, she doesn't seem that old. She's definitely I not don't forty. Think so. Mm-mm. Is she older than Travis? Something I'm sure everyone knows this already. No, know. he, he it can't really be. doesn't really matter.
1: He can't be 34.
0: No, I don't think so. Anyway, we're gonna get out of here. <laughs> Where least we start <laughs> looking up Taylor's yeah. <laughs> At what point are you going on the Taylor Swift Wikipedia rabbit hole? Because I'm not. I I've I have,
1: I'm not sure I've gone on it once since they started dating. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I've. Take- st- we've stood firm (laughs) hold the line
0: hold the line
1: i've only gone on travis kelsey's wikipedia page i am a travis i'm not a really a travis i'm a jason kelsey fan that's the note i'm gonna leave us on
0: we do love jason i was i was thinking about like what if jason like married just like the most no name like random like high school sweetheart i don't know if he's married or not but like he is married married. Mm -hmm. just to like hopefully like to like some girl that he met in high school who like nobody knows i'm pretty sure which is great for him, very happy, and then all of a sudden Taylor Swift starts showing up to like family Thanksgiving, and you are like, that's just different.
1: I will tune in. I have not tuned in very much to their podcast, the Kelsey Brothers New Heights podcast, but if there is a Taylor appearance, I will tune in for that. That would, that would be
0: crazy. Yep. <laughs> they, yeah, she can she can build his brand. One hundred percent. He Adam Schefter said he is she is building
1: it. He is gaining many followers. Is he top three jersey
0: sales this year now too? I'm sure he is. I'm, I'm sure a lot good, of a women's women's mediums. I better <laughs> flying out the door. <laughs> 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 and on that note. I think we can get out of here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the pod today. Um, we really enjoyed it. If you, if you, like John said, if you are now consuming Taylor Swift because of her connections to the NFL, please let us know. If the vice versa is true, please also let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can let us know on X or Instagram or Facebook. And uh, you can also review the podcast and let us know uh, through a review, which I also would read mm-hmm. and would would acknowledge. So... Any form that you would like to get in touch with us is welcome. Just don't text or call because I won't answer. Yeah, please don't dox us. That's not not cool. (laughs) But any other ways. All right, John. I think that's it. So until next time, we will be back in a future week with a future podcast on a future topic. And until then, we hope that you all continue to be well and be safe and we'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers, guys.